Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 180 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Farmers markets and country fairs, sometimes they're great, sometimes they're a flop. Stay tuned to hear how I got on last week at the Holcomb Hall Plant Fair here in Norfolk. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk. Hi everyone and welcome back. It's been another busy week and I feel like I'm really only just recovering from last weekend's two-day extravaganza that was the Holcomb Hall Plant Fair. But more of that in a short while. First, I'd like to just have a quick roundup of what's been happening in and around the Norfolk Honey Company. I have to say the weather has finally changed. I know the weather features regularly on my podcast, but while it affects what we do on a daily basis, without spoiling the surprise of the plant fair update, the weather was warm over the last weekend, but it's taken a turn for the cooler and overnight temperatures have started to slide down to single figures. Daytime temperatures are still in the high teens and we've had a little mix of sunshine and showers when the sun is shining the temperatures still get warmed up quite quickly and the bees have been enjoying this extra warmth and are still out foraging. The overwhelming forage is ivy and when we've been out and had a look at the bees you can see the bright yellow pollen and at this time of the year if you're seeing bright yellow pollen it's a fair indication that your bees are foraging on ivy. Add to that the wealth of flowering plants in gardens around the towns and cities and the bees are getting a nice mix of pollen and nectar. I've recently seen honeybees on the dahlias that I have planted in our front garden. Not a plant that I would normally perhaps associate with honeybees but as the large blooms finally open fully and expose the centre of the plants the stamen become available to the bees and they grab whatever pollen they can. At this time of the year, you'll also see plants such as heuchera, commonly known as the coral bell plant, uh, and that's in flower, tiny little bluebell-shaped flowers, and currently covered with honeybees. I don't suppose they get a huge amount of nectar and pollen from these tiny little flowers, but they do get something because they're all over them right now. The list of flowering plants is pretty much endless at this time of the year. We've waited all summer long and finally the late flowering plants are giving up some much needed colour and more importantly food for our bees. Talking of food for our bees, I'm just beginning the removal process of both feeders and treatments on our colonies. It will take some time but it is time to remove the apivar strips to prevent any form of resistance from building up in the varroa population that remains, if any. Wishful thinking, of course, there are always some colonies in which the varroa mite will persist, due mainly to poor positioning of the strips on my part, no doubt, but for the vast majority, 
I'm happy that we'll have reduced the threat from Varroa for the winter period. And of course, we'll get back in with the oxalic acid treatments in December. The process of removing feeders is actually a little more complicated. Well, I say complicated, but it's more complicated than simply lifting them off. Made more complicated by me, but it involves one additional step and perhaps just a week's delay. All of the feeders sit directly on top of the hives, normally above the crime board. And while I try to make sure the hives are reasonably level, I don't think any of them are perfectly flat and level. And as such, there's always a little residual syrup that pulls slightly away from the feeder cups and just out of reach of the bees. The additional step I have is to remove those cups that cover the feed holes so that the bees can move up and into the feeder body itself. At this point, there's no issue with bees drowning. That's the purpose of having the covering cups over the feed holes. So these can safely be removed now and the bees can get into the feeder body and get every last drop of syrup. I get a couple of wins out of this, as they say. Firstly, none of the syrup gets wasted. The bees really do clean up every last drop. And secondly, it makes cleaning them a whole lot easier. A simple rinse in hand-hot soapy water and a clean water rinse and the job's done. Yes, there's around 100 feeders to clean, which is why it's important to make the job as easy as possible. For Pete, that is. Well, I may feel guilty enough to go over and lend a hand, maybe. But Pete, you've been warned. Get that workshop cleaned up and ready for inspection. So that's the first phase of finishing feeding and the start of the cleaning process. Some colonies will want or need a little more food, and I'll give them the remaining syrup that I have, but it is starting to get a little cooler overnight now, and the syrup does cool down rapidly. I'm checking the needs of the colonies by hefting, and I've spoken about this before, usually around this time of the year. Simply stand at the back or side of the hive, and using your hand or hands under the back of the floor, gently lift the hive and feel how heavy it is. Lots of you have messaged me in the past saying that you're using weighing scales or other tools to physically weigh your hives, and that's fantastic. Far too sophisticated for me. And with a little experience, you soon get the feel of what a heavy, well-fed colony feels like and what a light, dangerously low amount of stores in a hive may feel like too. If you have scales fitted, you've probably got some very accurate data that you can call on, so do make sure that you use it. As we move around checking the feeders in the apiary now, we're also removing those apivar strips. These are easily pulled out of the hives, but a word of warning. Make sure you release the strip from any brace comb or propolis before you tug at it, and make sure it comes out slowly. I like to use my hive tool to loosen the strip away from the frames and then gently ease it out in one continuous move if possible. You really don't want to be ripping it out and inadvertently having the queen rolled up and damaged on one side of the strip as you hurriedly tug at it. Give the bees a chance to move off the strip by being gentle with it. If you lose your queen now, it's going to probably doom that colony to fail, or you'll have to buy a very expensive queen to replace her quickly. It's not difficult, just be calm and cautious, not a bull in a china shop as it were, crashing around and not paying attention. Once the strips are out, 
we're pretty much done for opening the hives this year. Where on earth did that season go? Still, lots of jobs we have to do, so we're not going to get bored. Steph will be pleased. So let me tell you about the Holcomb Hall plant fair that I attended last week with my little gazebo honey stall. It's an annual event, and this was my first time attending this year, and it's held in the fabulous surroundings of the Holcomb Hall walled garden here in Norfolk. I'm really not sure how to even start describing this place, so actually I've cheated and grabbed some words from their official website. I'll leave a link to the website in the podcast notes, and I really do recommend you pay this place a visit. So here goes. Holcomb Hall is currently undertaking a project to rejuvenate the six acres of walled garden, which was originally laid out by Samuel Wyatt during the late 1700s. Visitors are invited to see how the work is progressing. Their first step will take them through Italian ironwork gates, which were brought from Venice in 1908, and into one of seven sections known as squares and slips, The walls within the garden act as a windbreak and reflect the sun to create a gentle microclimate. In Victorian times, the garden would have provided a constant and varied supply of food and decoration for the hall, ranging from vegetables and flowers to a wide variety of both common and exotic fruits. There is a spectacular stand of large Victorian greenhouses, some of which have been renovated back to their original splendour, with others currently undergoing restoration. There are also sunken greenhouses, designed to be at a lower level to avoid extreme temperature fluctuations, and these are scheduled for renovation in the near future. The second square has been renamed the Ornamental Garden, and visitors are able to witness the ongoing creation of a new formal flower garden. The vegetable garden provides produce for the family's kitchen for entertaining and any surplus food is used at the local pub. The vineyard, now eight years old, adds interest. The vines will provide fruits for grape juice and the table. And at the far end of the garden, visitors will find a large lawn surrounded by borders planted with tropical-style planting. So those are mostly the words from the Holcomb Hall website. And it's the lawn section of the walled garden that hosted the plant fair. As you can imagine, most of the stalls were plants and garden-focused products, with a scattering of other stalls of interest, including mine. Steph helped set up the gazebo on the Friday afternoon. Always a fun experience. Tempers frayed, to say the least. Mostly my fault, but we'll leave it there, I think. I managed to double book myself with a very old friend visiting the same weekend, so I was in the doghouse at home too, but several bottles of wine seemed to reduce the amount of trouble that I was in. I had a range of honey ready for the event, and we had made some candles, and I also had my beeswax wraps to sell. That was it. Not a huge amount, but it proved to be sufficient. As I said before, these events can sometimes prove a bit of a disaster, but on this occasion, The rain stayed away, and we had a gentle flow of visitors all weekend. There was only one fly in the ointment, or honey, as it were. Here in the UK, talk of a petrol and diesel shortage became a self-fulfilling prophecy, and I'm just glad I managed to fill up the tank on the Ranger just before the panic set in. Queues and queues of people all clamouring for fuel at petrol forecourts everywhere you turned. 
Anyway, it didn't stop many people from coming to the plant fair. I guess advanced ticket purchases must have helped with that. And as I said, we had a gentle flow of people wandering past the stand, mostly proclaiming, oh look, honey, and then walking straight by. But we had plenty of people stopping and chatting, mainly about the plight of the bees, and the salesman in me managed to convert a few of these to direct sales. I even took some honey samples along with me, and previous experience having guided me, I handed out small spoonfuls of honey for our visitors to try. Once they did, it generally resulted in a sale, although one lady insisted that the soft-set honey was far too grainy for her. You can please some of the people some of the time, as the saying goes. I just smiled and held up a jar of runny honey for her to buy instead, saying, you'll take the runny honey then. And to her credit, she did actually buy it. Practically, I'm really glad I bought the newest version of the Zettel payment card reader. The company's owned by PayPal now, and it allows contactless payments. Around half of all my sales were via card payments, so it was well worth the purchase price. One added bonus offered up by the lovely people who organised the event, Lisa and Shirley, was that if I were willing to give a talk on beekeeping each day, I could have the pitch for free. Well, although I didn't have anything prepared, I wasn't going to say no to a saving on the weekend costs. So, although it added to the workload immediately prior to the event, I said I would give a talk on each of the two days. My talk was titled Beekeeping for All, and I spoke for about an hour about the fact that if we all grow flowering plants, then we're all doing our bit to look after all of the pollinators, and then went on to talk about how they could get started in beekeeping. I'm told the talk was well received, but the older couple in the front row on day two found it an ideal opportunity to drift away and have a quiet snooze in the early afternoon sun. I hope you're all still with me and haven't also fallen asleep to the podcast. I guess with any event like this, the proof of how successful it is, is in asking myself the question, would I go back next year? And on balance, I think I'd have to say yes, I would, if I get an invite, that is. I think a lot depends on the weather with these events and any prevailing conditions such as panic buying of fuel. But I'd really love a chance to spend some more time wandering around the walled garden of Holcomb Hall. And if you do love gardening, I highly recommend a day out there. The other thing I highly recommend is a subscription to my Patreon page. Get the very latest videos, my podcast, and seasonal tips and techniques as they're released. Dare I say, an ideal Christmas present? Well, that's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. But for now, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Sweet.